0: Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Pay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, wasn't the ending we wanted. Maybe I gotta eat my words a little bit. Maybe I got humbled in the process. But I'll be honest, I just got even more fired up. I am now even more confident for this rematch in a couple weeks. Maybe this is not the time to say that. But what a game.
1: What a game. That was a fun one. I gotta say, that was the, probably the first game all year where... I was actually getting fired up after like some eight shots like that at Pascal three to bring it within one uh, towards the second half uh, late in the second half like that was probably like the first time all year I was like, all right, this this is great. And I, I got to say, I, I am pretty impressed with the fact that this team was able to come back from what was it 15 points down to have a shot, at least have a shot at the end of the game. Uh, we'll talk about the last possession and what what eventually led to it. I gotta eat my words too. I thought they were gonna go in there and just get beat. You know, maybe not beaten down, but you know, take the L and move on. But they hung in there, and I am much more confident in the rematch, and much more confident with this team going forward. Yeah, the Wildcats for a moment there, Chris. I thought we were breaching the. Just
0: please don't get blown out. Let's leave Milwaukee with some dignity. The game was not looking pretty for a good chunk of it, especially once, like you said, Marquette pushed the lead to fifteen. But the way that the Cats are able to battle back, make it a game towards the end. That was an exciting last few minutes of basketball. What a great Saturday. Honestly, I walked out of that thinking, yes, the ending wasn't great. But the best thing is we're going to get to see them again. And we know how beatable they are. Granted, you know, it was fun environment. Kudos to Marquette. They walk away with a win. But Nova just looking 15 points down. I was starting to lose a little bit of faith. Then they start putting together a run, 23-6 to 6 run over the next couple of minutes, led by Jermaine Samuels and Sadiq Bey, who had a big chunk of contributions there. And then you had a couple threes by Cremo and Pascal to really put the Cats back in it. Ultimately, though, Nova fell short, 66-65, in a t- battle of top 15 teams in the Big East. This was the one that the conference pretty much had the date circled, just because with the way that things are going now, and just the way that these two teams have been playing, they've been running away with first and second while everyone else is kind of duking it out for third and just so far behind. It did not disappoint. It really didn't. Marquette came out on top, 66-65. Big game by Marcus Howard, 38 points, five made three-pointers, six rebounds, two assists. He did have five turnovers. And then Sakar Adam, who you said was kind of the next factor of the player to watch out for, he stepped up out of nowhere, came out of nowhere, had one of the biggest game performances of his life. 18 points, 8 of 10 on the floor, barely missed. And then on Villanova's end, you had Phil Booth leading the way with 19 points, Eric Pascal. He had seventeen points, six boards. And then Sadiq Bey also finished in double figures with 10 points. He also had six boards and that big, big steal at the end to set up that final possession. Just looking at this overall, what were your impressions of this game? What did you think Walking out of this. I mean, you're more fired up for the rematch. I'm fired up for the rematch. Kind of thinks that we're going to have to wait a few weeks to get to it. End of February. February 27, I believe, is the exact date on a Wednesday night. But I wish we spoiled the celebration there for National Marquette Day.
1: Yeah, I wish we did. Uh, but, yeah, some overall takeaways. I got to say, the defense really didn't play that bad. They they played pretty good. I mean, you look at Marquette's box score, 51% from the field. That's obviously not good. Three-point percentage, 389 That's not good. But you held Marquette to 66 points. Now, obviously, a lot of that has to do with you factor in the tempo and therefore less possessions for Marquette, so therefore less points. But I thought the defense did a pretty damn good job elsewhere. At least early on, I will say that Nova was getting burned on the switches. Marquette was getting some very favorable matchups. and A lot of uh, dribble drives by Marquette, specifically Marcus Howard, was blown by anybody who would even try to guard them and that wasn't working out well. And even as like Annam and even Bailey too, they were getting some easy shots and they just weren't converting at least early on. Got to give it a Marquette for at least exploiting those matchups. But then the defense was able to lock down. They held the Hauser brothers in check. Sam had four points and I believe all four came in the early in the second half. Theo John had one basket and we'll talk about him later. Morrow had nothing off the bench. Chartuni in limited time had nothing off the bench. It was just Howard and Howard and Anum show and specifically Howard. Yes, I know we've been, you know, loading up this defense because like, oh they, they're able to take that top guy and kind of shut him down and obviously this wasn't the case here but they were able to shut pretty much everybody else down outside of annum so i thought it, overall performance defensively i thought it was okay and then some individuals yeah, i know phil booth led the team in points again and he did show up at the end of the second half but he just did not have that great of a game at least for a good chunk of it defensively he really didn't get a chance to guard howard and if he did it, it looked like he Howard was just kind of beating him to the spot and it just wasn't looking pretty. But Booth did show up in the late in the second half and had some good defensive stops, I will say. But just specifically his shooting from the outside was left much to be desired. Jermaine Samuels finally breaking through the red light. Not exactly sure why they have the red light on him. I mean, I guess you can say like, oh, his shot doesn't look exactly look the best. And I kind of get that. But when you're wide open as he is, you got to shoot it because at least you got to force the issue for Marquette to cover it. And he did hit some big time shots and was flagged for a foul for a. Completely bogus foul at the end of the game there with the over the back or push. It was it a was non-existent. Pascal had a good game. I thought he had some clutch threes. Did turn over the ball once or twice where I thought it was kind of like in a big time possession. But otherwise, I thought he was pretty good offensively. Did grab some big time boards. And shout out to Sadiq Bey, Your out X factor that you had highlighted last episode. Absolutely punking Marcus Howard at the end there. stealing that ball. And I understand Marcus Howard had 38 points. But if Villanova converts at the end of the game there. All we're talking about is this Sadiq Bay steal, and everyone in Marquette land is pissed at Marcus Howard for turning that ball. So I got to say individually, they're some pretty solid performances. It's just the cold shooting in the beginning did the mint. I think it's it's that simple on top of some other things. But I think the cold shooting, at least early on, was the biggest factor. Yeah, cold shooting and just being torched. Marcus
0: Howard also you just got to tip your hat to him. Gamer. He was making those circus shots. He was making step back jays this was probably one of the first times that I'd seen him not afraid to drive inside. I think one thing that I knocked on him earlier in his career, especially last year was, you know, he's just a shooter, not physical. He doesn't, he's five foot 10. He doesn't look to go for contact. He's not going to drive inside. He doesn't get to the free throw line at all. He barely even tries. He just tries to make a living off three pointers and just step back jays, shaking and baking his opponent. But Against Nova, he wasn't scared. He was making some falling over, off balance, getting hacked on his way to the rim. I got to give it to him, 38 points, biggest game of the season. Nothing but love, nothing but respect there. But overall, the defense I did not think was that bad. If you look at Marcus Howard, Sam Hauser, Joey Hauser, together, all together, these guys average around 50 points a game. Now, Marcus Howard not only needed to have one of the best performances or one of those money performances that he's had, a couple of times this season where he's unstoppable. He's just a machine putting almost 40 points on the board single-handedly, but the Hauser brothers were a non-factor and I thought that was big. It was unfortunate that Sakar Anum needed to have the game of his life as did Marcus Howard having an extraordinary performance. But if you take away that, that wasn't really a bad job by Nova. At least they recovered. They recovered, especially in the second half and on that run that they went on because they did not let anyone else really beat them up. It was really a two-man show outside of a couple baskets here and there. The one bad thing I will say about Marcus Howard, and it really frustrated me when I saw it happen, and I thought Jermaine Samuels got robbed of that call when it seemed like he had the rebound, which would have been big, because that would have given no possession, but instead it turned into free throws for Marcus Howard, I don't know exactly what they called. I believe they technically called him over the back. I thought that was absolute BS. I think if Marcus Howard was of average height or not 5'10", he wouldn't be the beneficiary in that call. And the same goes for late at the end when Sadiq Bey poked the ball free, got the steal off Howard. Howard basically tackled him. He looked like a little tiny shrimpy defensive back trying to take down a tight end, diving at the knees, and he actually tripped him. That should have been a foul also, but, of course, You know, the small man in basketball going against the big man, always, 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 unless if it's absolutely egregious, seems to always get away with it. And I think I'm going to double down, triple down on this. If Marcus Howard was at least like 6'3", 6'4", they would have called that. They would have called both of those, or no, sorry, they would have let them play against Samuels, and Samuels would have not been fouled there. And then Sadiq Bey would have been fouled, and then he's going to the line for a couple big free throws, which could have possibly put Nova up.
1: See, I'm going to disagree with you there. And I think it's because the refs really wanted to let them play at the end. I, I'm not, I'm not saying there was anything, you know, for, to say like, oh, there should have been a foul at this possession or that possession. But at least when we, when we're going to talk about the, the last possession, a lot of people were like, oh, well, why didn't Phil just go up strong and try to draw a foul? Do you really think they're going to call a foul there in the, in the waning seconds at Marquette with that fan base? Like it just just didn't feel like they were going to call a foul at all. and then It didn't seem like they were going to let this game come down to the whistle. At least that was the vibe I was getting towards late in the game. So I think they were just going to let them play a little bit. Now, I don't know why they called that foul on Samuels Then if they were going to let him play. But then again, I don't know. I, I just have a hard time seeing the refs trying to put the game on the line in Villanova's favor at Marquette.
0: If they were really concerned about letting them play, they would have not called that foul on Samuels. It was like less than a minute left. I thought that was just yeah. horrible that one yeah. got me fired up. And I know it got a couple of those basketball guys on Twitter like Jay Billis and uh what's his name? What's his name? John Rothstein.
1: He was he was fired up as well. Oh, they were they were actually in agreement with
0: us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, wow, as soon funny.
0: as the call went on, you know, those guys sounded off on Twitter, and uh there were a lot of people that seemed to agree with them. And of course, as you can imagine,
1: the people who disagreed with them or Marquette fans thoughts on the last possession thought Phil Booth could have, you know, at least maybe floated one up there after he was kind of given the lane or maybe after the balls kicked out, to Jermaine Samuels uh, a little bit more aware could have gone up with the ball at least earlier on instead of, you know, kind of throwing up a little desperation shot. But I mean, obviously it did not happen. So what what were your thoughts on it? So there
0: were a couple things on that play. I thought 12 seconds, you got to think, wow, that is, This is a great spot for Nova. You got momentum surging on your side. 12 seconds is more than enough time to make anything happen, which is kind of what made this so stinging of a blow at the end because there was all the time in the world to like get something going. And there were options on that play. You had once Phil Booth turned the corner and got the screen from, I believe that was Gillespie. He was now driving inside and he had the lane to himself. Now, you see a Marquette defender, I believe that was Ed Morrow or Theo. No, it wasn't Theo John. He felled out. Ed Morrow, he's lurking under the basket, but he has time. He's got all the time in the world. And I thought, okay, we're going to see a Phil Booth take over the show. I, I know Colin Gillespie is wide open off that screen. Marquette just absolutely lost him. So, you know, you have Colin Gillespie wide open at the top all by himself. He can either shoot it, which he probably would for a three, or do what he wants. So, I was thinking, okay, Phil might either kick this out But because it's Phil Booth and just the way we've seen him play this year, it's his time. It's his time. And so I was expecting him to not give it up, but I was definitely expecting a shot. I was surprised with the way that you could tell he drove inside and he knew that he was driving way too far in and he needed to get rid of it. Absolutely unfortunate because I really wanted a runner there. I wanted a running floater there, something, anything, because he had a good look at the basket. Ended up just haphazardly or desperately throwing it back out in hopes to just keep it alive. Jermaine Samuels gets the ball, hesitates a little bit. We're thinking, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. I don't know who gave him the red light during this game. Granted, we saw in the second half that he was able to break free of it, but there were a bunch of instances I can recall. You know, going into halftime was one, or just the amount of rebounds he would get run on the basket and he had the free look at it, but he was looking to pass away. He needed, he just needed to shoot it there. The time is winding down. There was absolutely no time to pass it out. Fortunately, by the time he realizes this, he's now falling over and awkwardly shoots up a jumper, which is by no fault his own because you know time's winding down. What else can you do? And he realized it too late. I really was very disappointed to see that nothing happened. But like I said, it just got me more fired up because... The way that Marquette celebrated after the game was over, you would have thought they won the Big East tournament. You would have thought that Mm -hmm. they were going to the Elite Eight. You would have thought that Dwayne Wade was on the court somehow. (laughs) It was was ridiculous. Uh, You know, I didn't think that we were crowning a champion in the middle of February, (laughs) but the way that they acted, the way that Theo John was towards the end of the game, Marcus Howard getting in the middle of trying to break up a fight. It's like, dude, you're four foot ten. What are you doing there, trying to be big? It was like their whole demeanor the whole time was just so irritating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I respected their play on the court, but afterwards, it was just, what are you doing? We've seen yeah. teams fall for this trap before. <laughs> Look <laughs> at Teton Hall. They when they beat us in the uh, Big East tournament in 2016, everyone was ready to write them in for the Final Four. Blah blah blah. Isaiah Whitehead, God. No, no, don't fall for this trap. This is we're gonna be talking about this in a few months and it's not gonna end
1: well. You know, it's it's funny because I'm I'm all pro fun. Like I'm all for you know, storming the core whenever you want to. I don't give a crap. I'm all for acting like you won championship or whatever. Like I don't I don't care. Like in baseball, I'm all for pimping out home runs, bat flips, all of that. So hockey, lo- all about the big time celebrations, jumping into glass. But for some reason, I have to agree with you. This this irked me a bit. I don't know why. I think it's just the fact that Marquette feels like they're just not up to par with Villanova, at least in the past. I I just I don't. I think that they view us like in a highly esteemed light, and this was their season. And I talked to my friend who went to Marquette, big time basketball Marquette basketball fan, and he put it perfectly for me. He's like, "This is like the Patriots versus the Jets. Let." us have this one let us act like the way we did and you guys can go and win the championship again and I'm like eh, all right that's fine that's fair once he said that it made sense to me and I I, kind of took a step back from where I was at least after the game was like look at these guys celebrating like they won the national championship it's one game in the middle of February but once he said that I was like yeah you're right it is that kind of dynamic where it's Villanova just constantly beats down to Marquette. And then when Marquette does win, it's kind of a big ordeal because they just never do it against Villanova.
0: Yeah, while this quote-unquote may be an off year, we are still the big ticket in town. We are still the big kid on the block. We are still the big boy on top of the Big East. So I get why everyone wants to beat us so badly. And you know, especially this year, I'm sure there were a lot of teams who thought like, ooh, Nova lost to Furman? Ooh, Nova lost to Penn? This is our year. We're finally going to get that chance. But then as we saw in the first 10 conference games, no this is still nova's conference this is still very much the wildcats thing to win or thing to lose everyone's still got to go through them but i'm with you i'm all for bat flips i'm all for making it fun as long as it's not a ridiculous celebration like i love the crafty things that you see teams come up with in the end zone i love dances and all that but i was so irked and i think not only was it because maybe it was like a little excessive but this team was so beatable. It was so beatable. And you had Theo John being a fake tough guy towards the last few minutes. And I think that was like the turning point for me, or that was getting the ball rolling in terms of my uh, aggression or just wanting to win or wanting to shut them down so badly. But yeah, I mean, you got to let Marquette have it. I mean, I I congratulated a couple of my friends that I know that have ties to Marquette. It, it was a big win for them on National Marquette Day, but yeah, I was I was definitely irked by that, even though normally I wouldn't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with court stormings, this and that. Like when Butler did it on us, I wasn't too upset. When Penn did it, I wasn't too upset. But something just rubbed me the wrong way, and I think it all starts with Theo John. Let's be honest, he's yeah. a villain. We were defending him a little bit on the last time. We're like, oh, no, he didn't mean to be a bad guy towards Jalen. No, 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 no. It's true colors are out. He is actually a bad guy.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, just backtracking a bit I I think another reason why this kind of irked us a bit I mean at least to me I don't know about you but the fact that Marquette was like ranked higher than Villanova at the time and also that Marquette's generally considered better than Villanova at least at least as we speak here today and they're acting like it was like some big time upset and like the announcer's like oh this is a program defining whim and I'm like like, uh, I mean sure I guess I don't know but yeah, I, I, a lot has to do with Theo John. I, I, pretty much majority of it has to do with Theo John. And the fact that his stupidity and trying to act big and tough and all that stuff basically sparked the villain of a run. After that moment where he basically stepped over Pascal on that foul and acted like a tough guy and Marcus Howard had to go up there and big, uh, break it up between him and Phil Booth. That started the run. That started the whole thing. Cremo hit a three the next possession, I think it was, or it was the possession before or something. And that, that was it. And Villanova ended up having the lead at some point later on. So your fake toughness basically handicapped your team because it, got, it woke Villanova up, basically. At least that's how I viewed it. We were discussing off air that it kind of felt like Villanova was just kind of sleepwalking a bit, at least halfway through the second. It was like, all right, let's just get out of here and not lose by 20. But once that happened, I think that kind of woke everybody up. I think Phil Booth got fired up. And as a result, Phil Booth, had a great end of the second half so shout out to theo john for basically making this a, a one point game
0: yeah and you know that all the students will definitely be looking forward to that wednesday night game like yeah it'll be at 9 p.m yeah it'll be late yeah it's in the middle of the week but it's gonna be quite a game i know we talked about how anticipation in terms of leading up to the michigan game was high this one will definitely be higher than that i would love a ticket to the pavilion for that game oh man that would be quite the game to watch mm-hmm. but yeah marquette like we said, they need a they need a chill. Sean Hall fell for this trap. Do not do that. Word of advice: Do not fall for this trap. Marquette, especially, man. <laughs> They've only been to the NCAA tournament once under Wojo?
1: Yeah, it was. They yeah, once. A, yeah, because last year they were nit. Yeah, eventual Final Four contestant, South Carolina.
0: Yeah. So, 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 more work to be done, buddies. Still yeah. more work to be done. Yeah. I remember when Nova was on its way back up. And then we thought, oh, yeah, this is the year. And then came UConn. And then came NC State. And then now it was just humble pie until we finally
1: actually get somewhere. Yeah, you just got to – I'm not going to say act like you've been there before, but just, you know. Don't fall just, for the just, just Yeah, just calm it down a bit. They, they understand, though. I, I think I think they get it. Like, I think they were just really hyped. It was a great game. It was a great game to get emotional about. I don't know. We'll see if it, if it means anything for them because they seem to be an emotional team. That's because Mojo's an emotional coach, I mean, that's not a fault. I, don't, I really don't view that as much of a fault. I think that's just how he is. So we'll see how that plays out for Marquette. Obviously, I would like to see them do well for the Big East's sake, but for Theo John's sake, um, oh. yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind them taking I, another yeah. L.
0: It is so far just Nova and Marquette. I know bracketologists got other teams creeping in, this and that, bubble, fringe, whatever. But so far, these two teams seem to be the surefire bets. Honestly, though, although it did irk me a little bit that they were celebrating like they won the championship, I did not walk out of that game angry. I was very happy with the way that Nova was able to fight back because that game seemed doomed middle of the second half. I was very happy with that, and honestly my hype and excitement for the rematch supersedes any other emotion that i felt after that game but we're gonna have to see we're gonna have to wait and see we got a couple games in between and we got a while away before that comes and they got a few more games as well before we meet again so but like we said last time both teams just need to take care of business and hopefully we build up even more hype for this rematch but great one point game hats off to marquette for the win nova thankfully was still in first place so not all hope is lost there's no reason to panic kind of felt like the same way it it did with kansas and that it was a feel-good loss if that makes any perfect sense because just the game looked doomed it looked like it was going to sputter out of control the wildcats were able to fight back get in there had a couple chances to win just couldn't do it but we'll get to see them again it's not over there's Obviously, late February, and then, of course, we might see them again in the Big East Tournament, which would be another epic showdown, especially do so at the Garden. That'd be awesome, but we can't count our chickens just yet. Before we look at Providence, though, we got to look at the polls. We got to look at the NCAA's annual special around this time of the year where they released and reviewed their top 16 seeds as of right now, or I guess as of last Saturday, and we got to just dissect that a little bit. There's one thing that I was very shocked and I was surprised, and I guess that just validated a lot of our feelings here was the AP pollsters also thought it was a great game. Loved the way that Nova played, and I I don't think I've ever seen this before, but the Cats actually moved up a spot. Marquette stayed the same at 10, and I know that there were a couple losses here and there, but I just did not expect that at all. I was shocked. Nova's now ranked 13th in the eight people. Marquette is still at number 10. I know you were probably as shocked as I was to see that. I was surprised, but I was like, hey, you know what? Awesome. No complaints.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously you'll take it. I mean, other than what Purdue jumped Villanova, but the fact that Kansas dropped one because they're in a free fall right now, which is kind of shocking. I mean, I know they have their injury issues and their eligibility issues and amongst other things, and they have that Vic thing going on now. So they're, they're a mess. and Virginia Tech falling 11 spots. It, that's that's pretty stunning right there. That was just a horrible week for them. But yeah, I'm shocked that Pollster's actually bumped Villanova up one after a loss, I think. Like you said, I think it's just the perfect storm of just everybody else just kind of having mad weeks and two teams having pretty bad weeks. And yeah, Villanova just gets bumped up. So I, I don't know. I'm fine with it, obviously. I don't really think it matters all that much, though. We ha- we just had that top 16 show come out. So I think that's the one that we should probably focus in on more.
0: Yeah, the NCAA has done this now for the last couple of years where around this time of year, about a month left before we start talking about brackets and have that conversation for the real deal, they now release their top 16 seeds, top four teams in each region. As if if the NCAA tournament were to start right now, what would it look like? It's just a progress report. I like to call it advanced bracketology because you actually get the committee's input and you actually see how they weigh certain things, how they view certain things. So it's definitely a lot better than Joey Brackets or Andy Katz or what they have to offer. But I was a little surprised going in because these were released before the Marquette game. And if you looked at it, you had Marquette representing, taking the three seed, but then you also had Nova, who I was expecting to maybe squeeze in as a four. They were out of the picture completely. But now you look at how Saturday unfolded, and I guess the NCAA has got to pat themselves on the back because they got it right so far. No surprises. Duke was the overall number one team. You also had Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga all at the top. Then for the two seeds, you had Kentucky, Michigan, UNC, Michigan State. Threes, you had Purdue, Kansas, Houston, Marquette. And for the fours, Iowa State, Nevada, Louisville, and Wisconsin. And I know that a lot of NOVA fans were upset They felt that Wisconsin was the team that probably stole their thunder. I was a little surprised. Granted, after what happened on Saturday, you couldn't complain, but I'm not going to lose too much sleep over this. This is pretty much just a progress report. There's still a lot of work to be done, but it's good to know that Nova's probably in that four-five conversation.
1: Yeah, which, you know, I'm perfectly okay with. And there's still plenty of time to bring that ranking up. I mean, you got some very winnable games coming up, especially with Marquette coming up at home. There's your probably your last chance for a signature win and then you gotta worry about the biggies tournament hopefully you can get marquette again and hopefully beat them again and boost that resume a bit but yeah as, as long as villanova takes care of business uh, these teams are in in some pretty tough conferences where they'll probably be dropping games left and right and one bad week and villanova will be right back up in that conversation for a three or a four for from these other teams so i think they'll be fine everyone was saying that we're like basic villanova was basically what 17 in that seating chart so just one bad week from one of those teams and as long as villanova takes care of business like they should this week this shouldn't be a problem so could you make the argument that they're better than wisconsin sure i'm not like you said i'm not losing sleep over it. we still got a month to go still plenty of time
0: do you feel that the five
1: line is a pretty accurate depiction of where they would be i'm okay with it i think it Makes perfect sense. I mean, I'd really four or five at that point, pretty interchangeable. I mean, I guess I'd rather obviously you'd rather have the higher seeds or the four at that point, but I don't know. The four or five seed thing always scares me because you're always prone to that first round upset. And even if you win, you gotta play it basically an equally equivalent team in the second round. And then if you win that, you gotta play the most likely the one seed. So it would be pretty bad if that were to happen, obviously, but I would be happy.
0: I would like Nova to get out of that 5-line just because, I mean, as we've all seen and as we've all experienced, filling out those brackets, there was the five twelve. You gotta pay a little extra sauce, too. Always a little always a little extra there because mm-hmm. those 12 seeds, man, some of them are like on steroids.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, Villanova was a 12 seed a couple of years ago in 08. They ended up pulling off the upset against Clemson, so and Villanova's been the 5 seed a couple times under Jay Wright. He had the 05 tournament 08 tournament i think i don't think i'm missing any other ones they've been there before but obviously completely different teams
0: so moving forward we got to now turn our attention to the second leg of the villanova Providence series the friars are coming to town on wednesday night 6 p.m tip off the game will be on fox sports one if you can't make it to the pavilion the two teams met very early in conference play i believe it was the second game it was like right after the new year and Nova was able to win on the road at the dunk. One of the hardest places to play, as we all know. They beat Providence 65-59. to Nova had that really hot start. And then for a little bit, you looked, you got a little scared. And then as the Fries just continued to fight back, make it even closer, you were definitely scared. But the Wildcats were able to pull one out on the road. And that's all that matters. A dub is a dub. And now they're going to look for a rematch about a month and a half later. This Providence team, they're coming off of a huge win against St. John's, one that I was able to cover and witness. Now, we know that St. John's, as talented as the roster it is, very unpredictable, but I did not expect Providence to just destroy St. John's the way that they did last Saturday. While we were all prepping for Nova Marquette, that game was going on at the Garden, and the Friars got a big win, 70-56. to They're going to look to take some of that momentum, that road momentum, over to the Pavilion. We've seen this team before the one thing that I want to say that will be different, not only are the players better, that these guys have been able to jive. David Duke seems to be turning himself around after kind of an inconsistent start to the season. Slow start, if you will. But he seems to now be that freshman of the year that the Biggies kind of anticipated him to be. But aside from that, you have A.J. Reeves, who is now healthy. And if there's one thing that this Providence team is, as much as they love to rely on defense, just the offensive scoring punch has always been so inconsistent for them. That's where they kind of fall short. But to have A.J. Reeves getting back into game shape, was out for a while with a foot injury. Nova did not get to play against him. And before he was hurt, he was hot. He was sniping threes. He was stealing the show, stealing the thunder from David Duke, Javon Quinterly, all the other freshmen who seemed to be higher rated than him. He was off to a hot start. Fortunately, with this injury, kind of derailed some of that momentum. He's still working back to get back in shape. His numbers have definitely dropped, but you'll see that his minutes are starting to expand. He's starting to get used to it. And aside from that, this team has figured out how to play without him. Chris, this Providence team, man, they never make it easy. They're, They're always tough. Ed Cooley, passionate guy. What are you expecting from this Friars squad? What do you expect this time around? Do you expect more of the same? Do you think it'll be a defensive battle? Do you think A.J. Reeves makes a difference? What are you feeling?
1: I am expecting a defensive battle. Providence right now sitting at 41st in the Kempom rankings for adjusted defense. However, for their adjusted offense, they are sitting at 168. Now, obviously, I feel a lot has to do with the fact that AJ Reeves was injured for such a extended period of time that the offense did take a hit because of it. But now that he's back, I am expecting a different game from Providence in the sense that I think they'll be actually able to make some shots as we saw last game. It wasn't exactly the most light-em-up type game. Yeah, I, I expect them to muck it up like they usually do. It's on the road so for them, so it's it's going to be a pretty tough one. I, I think Villanova is going to be able to right the ship here. I think they'll build, build off the momentum, I guess. I guess there's momentum from a loss. It's kind of weird to say, but I guess they'll have the momentum off the loss from Marquette, feeling good about how they can be able to come back, focus on this game at home, and I think they should take care of business pretty easily. Providence is a very weird team. You just don't know what to get, but I feel like you can say that about every Big East team right now that isn't named Villanova or Marquette. I expect a good game from Providence. I expect him to hang in for a majority of the game, but I still feel that Villanova pulls away at the
0: end. Yeah, just some names to watch out for. Obviously, Alpha Diallo is the main man. He's leading the way with 17 points per game. Come the leading man for them. He's developed into a nice all-around player. He also leads the team in rebounding with eight point three boards per game. Solid shooter. He's definitely expanded his range a little bit. I thought that, you know, he was definitely a guy that I had liked earlier in his career, but now as he's growing older, maturing. We see him start to take that leadership role, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job so far. Granted, everyone else is still pretty young, or they're still trying to find their way. AJ Reeves is a freshman. He's still recovering, still trying to get back to that mojo, as we talked about. Nate Watson is a big man center who really impressed me against St. John's. He is a guy that will get the offensive boards. He'll clean the offensive glass. We need guys boxing out on him at all times because he is going to fight the way that this Providence team overall, they just took it to St. John's. They were like dogs out there. Even when the shots weren't falling, they must have created at least two or three second chance opportunities, it felt like, on almost every possession. Defensively, they were shutting down everyone not named Shamori Pons, and even Pons himself was having a hard time. And you always know it's never a good time for a star player when they stop trying to score, and they just look at the refs and start complaining for fouls. Never good luck. That's always frustration right there. And that's exactly how Providence will play. They're not going to make it easy. We saw how they did with Nova when it looked like Nova going to run all over them, bulldoze them at the dunk, absolutely light them up. They fought the way back in there and actually gave us a little bit of a scare. I don't think it'll be as scary this time around. Lockdown down on Diallo. Locked down on David Duke, who's starting to find his way. Nate Watson, box out on him. Isaiah Jackson's a nice guard who comes off the bench or comes into the rotation and adds some nice things. But overall, I don't think that Providence has a scoring punch. And especially Nova will be back home. They're going to be fired up after losing. I get what you mean. There, there is something to be had coming off a loss. And I know that Nova's lost back-to-backs twice this year after not doing it in five or six seasons. But I don't think this will be a back-to-back loss situation. Very confident in the Cats. I think they will pull this one out. Will it be gritty? Yes. Will it be a dogfight? Yes. Yes. But I don't think it'll be as scary as it was in the last closing minutes of that Providence and Nova game earlier in the year.
1: Yeah, you kind of forget that Villanova was pretty much controlling that entire game up until the last what five, seven minutes, where they just didn't want to hit a basket. So, I mean, if you just put out that type of effort and just kind of mitigate the storm there, or whether whether the storm a bit like you did at the end of the second half in the provi- in the last Providence game, and just show throw out any type of competent performance, I think they'll be fine. So. I'm expecting a dub. I think you're expecting a dub. That'd be a great way to get back on track.
0: Ken Palm is also expecting a dub, according to Ken Roy, the numbers man. Nova is an 84% favorite to win, and I like those odds. I'm feeling pretty good about this game on Wednesday. Once again, it'll be at 6.30 p.m. on hump day. If you can't make it, it'll be on Fox Sports 1. So we'll get to enjoy that game, and hopefully we'll have some good things to talk about. But for now, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, open the mailbag. Last time I slacked off, this time I didn't. And we got a bunch here. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N pod or leave your questions in the comment section and we'll address them. Ask us anything. We'll talk about it. So we got a few here. Chris, are you ready? Let's do it. This first one is from Notorious Golfer. Why did Phil Booth not go up for a shot or a layup during the last play? He dumped it off to Samuels with less than 1.5 seconds. Bad play, worse execution. Chris. He was sitting in there, and, uh, you know, I, we all, I think we all had the same thought here because he had 12 seconds to set up something, you had the right look, you had the right play, and he just kind of didn't do anything with it. What were your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, as I kind of alluded to before, I mean, I, I think he should have at least attempted a floater because a lot of his baskets toward the end of the second half there were kind of just coming in the lane, kind of floating sh- shots up, getting in close by the basket. So I I thought he should have at least tried something. At least it would have felt like, as fans, it would have made us feel better, I feel like. At least we would have known a result because that possession just felt so empty. And also, when we were talking about it before, I didn't realize how open Gillespie was. He could have easily kicked it out to him. And I know Gillespie wasn't out of the greatest of games, but I'd rather take that shot than no shot at all, obviously. It's kind of irking me now, now that I see it. I don't know. I think it was just bad execution. I thought it was a good play call because you had Gillespie freed up. You also had another option on the wing there, far side if you really wanted to get cute with the pass there. So I thought it was a good play. And we've kind of seen in the past how these half court plays on, on the last possession have turned out. We've saw at the end of the big East tournament game uh, against Seton Hall, kind of just drive into a bunch of guys, no foul call. You saw at the end of the Wisconsin game a couple of years ago, drive into a bunch of guys, no foul call. The fact that we were even able to have some open guys here, it was, it was kind of refreshing, but yeah, the fact that Phil didn't just even attempt a shot, I, I i don't know what he was thinking, gotta ask him that, but I really wish he would have just at least thrown something up there, and I thought he had the opportunity too.
0: Yeah, and that's the frustrating part with it. I know you brought up the 2016 Big East Tournament Final, as well as the 2017 NCAA Tournament Game against Wisconsin, but in both of those situations, at least we got to see a shot thrown up. This time around, we didn't. I already shared my opinions on this earlier. But we got some quotes here, some post-game quotes from Phil Booth and from Jay Wright. This one from Phil, quote, I drove to the lane and saw the big fellow. In this case, he was talking about Ed Morrow. I saw him step up, and I was looking for my teammates, end quote. And then Jay Wright chimed in, and he said, quote, We were running a ball screen, trying to put in Phil's hands, and just let him make a decision at the end. We trust his decisions. I don't think we gave him great options. I don't think his teammates spaced out well. We got congested under the rim. It was just one of those things where I think they thought he was going to shoot it. So they went to go offensive rebound as opposed to give him an option. I don't have a problem with that. It's all the plays before that, that I really think affect whether you win or lose. End quote. Jay, you got a point there, but Colin Gillespie was wide. o. if we really wanted a second option. I mean, I thought Phil Booth shooting it would have been 95% of the time, the play that I would have gone with. I mean, he had the look at the basket. It wasn't, Completely closed down. Yes, and Mar was stepping up, but he had a look at it. Or you had Colin Gillespie at the top, but it didn't seem like anyone saw him. Tough. It's tough. Really wanted a shot out. 12 seconds to come up with something. You had the right looks, but just nothing happened. At least it was better than the last play that we drew up against Penn. That was a... <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> last plays, last possessions. That one was atrocious. And that yeah. was also a similar came back... <laughs> Yeah. only had the opportunities at the end yeah. everything fell into place only to have that be the ending
1: oh yeah that was kind of uh, that wasn't the greatest either but to be fair that pen game they didn't really have that much time this time they had plenty of time to set in whatever they wanted up but yeah i'm not exactly sure what jay meant by his teammates weren't open i mean like you said gillespie was wide open at the top there i mean and i didn't even notice that until now until you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago i had i didn't even pay attention to that so I mean, maybe he just overlooked it, but he's the one who drew up the play. So I I don't know. Phil just shot it.
0: I've seen the last possession four or five different times now. I didn't even pay attention to who was trying to set up for a rebound or what. I know Jermaine Samuels obviously was around the basket. So, you know, he was in rebounding position, but my eyes were just drawn. My eyes were just drawn to Phil Booth, obviously, beating his guy out to the corner, having the free lane. And then second, my eye was also on Colin Gillespie, who was just wide open by himself. I know Jermaine Samuels was obviously in position to crash the board. Can't speak for the last two guys, but there were options on the play. Unfortunately, nothing happened. Guess it's a brain fart. I mean, I know that there were some people in the comment section saying that, quote unquote, this is a blow to the legend of phil booth the legacy of phil booth let's not let's not get carried away here let's not overreact the (laughs) the dude won two national championships was a big reason for the 2016 one i don't think that him having a brain fart with 12 seconds to go or five seconds to go is gonna quote unquote tarnish his legacy in the middle of february of the regular season
1: yeah i'd say that's a little bit far
0: this next question is from Aaron. How do you account for the sudden change in Samuel's shooting? Was it a matter of confidence? Did Jay finally give him the green light? He took more field goal attempts against Marquette than he's taken in the previous three games combined. I don't know what was going on. I think at some point in the middle of the game, you could tell. I mean, they were telling him to look for his own shot because he was passing up wide open. Like, I mean, he had enough time to get himself a cheese day, come back, and still be open for that shot in the first half along the perimeter or when he would get the offensive rebound and he you know just go up with it but he was looking to pass or defer I don't know what that was I know the place where I was I was at a game watch in the city because I didn't have enough time to make it in front of my home TV so I just had to go anywhere the amount of times that the whole place was just screaming shoot it shoot it shoot it it was just so mind-blowing I think someone gave him the red light at some point they gave him the green light and we needed his shots. We need when he started actually pulling up and knocking him down, it was like finally they let him shoot and he knocked it down and was a big part of that run. You know, we know with Samuels, there's a lot of yips or there's a lot of talk about confidence and mental roadblocks and whatnot. But whoever came the red light, I was glad that they took it back because we really needed that.
1: Yeah, they, they took it off at the right time. And it, it, yeah as the question alluded to it it's been like that for the past few games he's just been passing up wide open shots and i had to listen a little bit to this game on the radio and i unfortunately had the marquette feed and they were just flabbergasted that the fact that he just wasn't shooting at all you look wide open shots and they just were perplexed by why who told him not to shoot or why he's not shooting i mean me and you were going back and forth during the game about this. We're like, is it the yips? Or is it a coach thing? Like, Or is it a combination of both? Like, I don't know. But then he takes four threes and they all look pretty good. So I'm like, what, what what's holding him back? And he, was, he had two big ones, I got to say. So I, I don't know. I really don't understand that, that whole thing. It, it's been a weird development for him so far, I got to say. But I'm glad he's at least shooting, and hopefully, hopefully he can continue this and the red light is completely off.
0: Yeah, we're just going to have to see on Wednesday night, see if this kind of improves in terms of the amount of shots taken. But the red light came off at the right time. Wish it was a little sooner because he had so many wide-open looks. And also, if you look back at the last couple games, great point by Aaron there, like, against Georgetown, what was it? One shot attempt, a made three, and then 16 rebounds yeah (laughs) like like not every day you see a stat like that a stat line like that Mm -hmm. but hopefully you know they're gonna tell him you know hey shoot it just go for it this next question is from fj376 will slater redshirt will jq transfer next year we didn't get a jq question last time or i I think not even last tuesday if i remember correctly we haven't
1: fielded one in a while
0: yeah it's been a it's been a little bit it's been a little bit it always begs the question whenever we see a lack of minutes or a DNP or virtually a DNP, it makes you wonder what is going on here. Now, as in terms of Slater, I like we said before in a couple of different episodes, I think it is now too late. I think he's now past the threshold of games played, so he's no longer eligible for red shirt. So I don't think he will be. I think he will be a true sophomore next year unless if something happens and I'm fully surprised whether it be medical redshirt or whatnot. but. As for JQ, I don't know. Chris, I mean, you know, there's always a lot of drama around this. And it always seems to be, you know, when we see a DNP or like two minutes for Javon Quinnley, or you know, one one day he gets a lot of minutes, and the next he gets maybe one or two in garbage time. Makes you wonder. Now we know there was, I don't know who comes up with this. I don't know who checks this out, but shout outs to the sleuths and the different detectives in the comment section or in view hoops or surrounding view hoops. But they found out that Javon Quinnerly unfollowed Villanova Basketball on Instagram.
1: Chris, what do you make of this? What does this mean? It uh, means he's obviously leaving. Well, he might as well just you – know, all he has to do is just cross the T's and dot the I's and all that. I mean, he's gone. He's good as gone, obviously. And I don't know. I don't get it. Is he gonna transfer? I I really hope not, man. This would just be a huge blow to next year, where this team can really take a really big step forward. Now, obviously, you got the big time freshman coming in, so it might be more of the same. Think to the line down the line, two years, three years from now, like if they decide to ride it out, like how nuts this team could be, like how really great this team could be, and he's one of the potential keys to making this team great. And I still think he can help this year. I just don't get why he's not playing. Now, this game, you can reason with me that why he didn't play. Hostile environment, Jay's going to ride his five to six guys. I kind of get it, but still, in other games, he can can still contribute, I feel like. Please don't transfer. Please, I I, want to see a fun, exciting player. Not that this team doesn't have him, but... He seems to be particularly exciting.
0: I'm all for the free JQ bandwagon, but in a game where Nova was down by 15 at one point, just getting beaten up, hostile crowd, not an easy place to play in. Totally understood the minute leash here, or at least more so than games past, but I hope he doesn't transfer next year. I still think he'd be a valuable contributor. I think he can add some stuff off the bench. Obviously, you know, I'm all for minute distribution and another playmaker off the bench is a big help for this team. That way you don't put it all on starters like Gillespie and Booth, you get another guy off the bench, and that can help. Looking bigger picture down the line, I think, you know, when his time comes, he'll be big, and, you know, hopefully we'll be talking like how we said before, when if he's bringing this school banners, if he's bringing the school championships, all this other stuff, all this other distractions off the side, whether it's, you know, the recruitment story or the Instagram story or this now, this new thing coming up where he's, unfollowing the team on social media. I think that'll all be put to rest and it'll all just be something that we can look back upon and laugh at. But I hope he doesn't transfer next year. We'll never know for sure. I mean, seems like the rumor mill always churns or, you know, there's all these other insider stories where he's going to transfer one day and the next day it's like, oh, he changed his mind. Like, who knows? We're just going to have to wait and see and we're just going to enjoy the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, this is kind of becoming a, a tiresome topic and I understand why everyone's, up in arms about it I mean so are we like we are pro JQ we are team free JQ we, we want to see the guy play but like every day it's like oh he did this on Instagram he did this on Twitter I I don't, I don't ugh. how about when he transfers and files the transfer papers <laughs> we'll talk about it then because I really believe that he'll stick it out I, I do I really do every day that we got to get an update on his social media account It's just yeah it's it's kind of exhausting.
0: <laughs> next question is from John K. Is there a concern about next year with no juniors playing this year? Like for example there will be no senior leadership next year. Chris what's your take on this?
1: Yeah I kind of just mentioned it like the fact that next year there, there really isn't going to be any Yeah, you know, like you said there isn't going to be any seniors around. Now I wouldn't say that the lack of leadership is going to be the issue. I think it's the lack of you know, like actual like senior talent's going to be the issue. The fact that you won't have a Phil Booth or a Pascal to go to to bail your butt out in, the, in a close game. You'll have the leadership there. I think Gillespie fills that role admirably. I think DCR is ready to step into that role. Heck, even Samuels, uh, just because they're older. And... We'll see with the current freshmen right now. We'll see if there. any of them in the next offseason will take, a, take on a leadership role. So I, don't, I wouldn't say the leadership's going to be an issue because I still think that comes from the top. I think the coaches are doing a great job, and then it'll trickle down. But I think the lack of senior talent is going to be the issue next year.
0: It's tough. I remember last year, even running, you know, we had features written on V-Hoops and pieces about there were no, quote-unquote, official seniors last year. You had Jalen Brunson, Jr., Mikkel Bridges, Retro, Jr., Phil Booth, Richard Jr., but there was no one who was officially senior. Like, yes, I know academically this and that, but we were wondering, you know, there's no official seniors on the team. Will that be a problem? And as we saw, they won a national championship. Granted, they had some great talent, and that might be the difference between being in that situation next year as opposed to 2018 because you had a couple guys go to the NBA. You have Eric Pascal, who now is looking, you know, like a potential draft pick. Uh, I know that the word seems to be late first, early second, or anywhere in that range. Phil Booth is definitely going to get a look once he's done. I don't know about drafted. I mean, he's playing his his butt off, so, you know, he can definitely sneak into the conversation. I know a couple different guys on Twitter on Saturday were sounding off about him being a pro prospect possibly being the best prospect from that Marquette Villanova game. That also, you know, drew some heads and got the fire, got the chat going, fired up the chats and got people going. So I think next year, like you said, I don't think it will be more so senior leadership. It will be about talent. I think that there are guys who are ready to step up. You have Colin Gillespie right now, who who's already a captain from what I hear. Demir cosby Browntree just from when I've spoken to him, when I've interacted with him, he seems like a very mature guy. He seems pretty wise behind his years, but he's also, he seems like he could be a vocal guy. So I can see him also taking up that leadership role. So I think Nova will overall be fine if we're being flat out honest here in terms of leadership. I I don't think there'll be a question there. It'll just be getting the pieces to fit.
1: Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you there.
0: Last set of questions is from our guy, SNNJQ, Jerry Quinn. First question from him is if Samuels make shots, how do we lose? Provided our seniors deliver an average performance, but how? Well, uh, I think as Chris alluded to, there was the slow start in the beginning, which was no fun. I mean, anytime Nova has a slow start, it's never a fun time. But you also had the defense early on that was just a little sketch. I mean, Nova put itself in a hole early. Marquette was getting what it wanted. Villanova wasn't making shots, and that killed him. Early on, you know, I thought that the way that Nova was able to keep it, like it was like 12-9, 12-12, very low scoring halfway through the first half. thought the defense was fine. It was just giving up the looks eventually to Marquette, letting them get those favorable matchups, and then just not answering back for a while. But you put that aside, you put aside Phil Booth having a slow start, Eric Pascal having a little bit of an up and down game until everyone got going until the run at the end. But honestly, I I just give it to Marcus Howard, man. He just made the big shots. He made the big plays. looked like he
1: wouldn't miss. He was driving inside, finishing through traffic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Marcus Howard just, <laughs> he has the propensity to just go off 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 points at a time. It, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And I think we kind of underplayed that in the preview show. We should should have probably mentioned that to at least cover our own butts and possibly reverse jinx it. But yeah, you gotta really just tip your cap to Howard with regards to that game. But with regards to Samuels shooting, if he can just be respectable, he doesn't have to put up un- ungodly numbers. Just be respectable from the field. They got opposing teams have to respect it and guard it that's going to free up so many other things. I, at least I would feel like, don't you think? It would free up some other shots. It would free up some some matchups maybe because as of right now, no one's going. He's just there to just pass the ball off to whoever, and he everyone knows it's going to go right back to Phil Booth or Gillespie or whoever, whatever guards up there at the top. So if he can just hit some shots, they're going to have to respect it, and it's going to free up some other things, I would say. No?
0: Yeah, it's like what – Joel Embiid said about Ben Simmons shooting threes. It's like he has to do it just so opponents have to think about it as opposed to, yeah. you know, you saw in the first half, man, there were so many looks at the perimeter where Jermaine Samuels was so wide open and then he'd hesitate and it's like, is he going to shoot? And then he passed it away. But Marquette didn't even flinch. They didn't flinch when he was wide open.
1: No, they didn't even acknowledge him. They just knew he was just going to distribute the ball to the guard and whoever was guarding the guard, the his guard. I uh, just would play over the top on him and just try to force a steal. It was pretty ridiculous. You knew it was coming. So I just, he's just got to shoot more.
0: Second question from Jerry Quinn. Are we a lock for the one seat in the biggest tournament? I will say we're still in the driver's seat. Very much so. Very much in the driver's seat. Still the front runners here. Corner Ken Palm and all the other math people and odds makers and all that. Still looking hot for the one seat. I don't know about Locke. I can't definitely say that yet, but I like Nova's chances the best.
1: Yeah, as do I. And I think the next four games are, next five games really are going to de- determine it for Villanova. I mean, you have Providence at home this Wednesday. Then you got three big road games in a row at St. John's, at Georgetown, at Xavier. They should win all four of those games that I just mentioned. And if they do, I mean, they'd be sitting pretty. And now obviously that Marquette game looms large because if they do lose that, Marquette will have the upper hand and the tiebreaker there. But I kind of feel that Marquette might just lose another one in there. And if that happens, they're done for the one seed. So I think as long as Villanova takes care of business and even with a loss to Marquette, I think they still might be able to pull it out. It would still be tricky, but I think they could still do it. If you just beat the other teams, I think they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, putting all the other teams aside, I think if Nova is able to beat Marquette and even the season series, I think they will be in great position. Yeah. Just as long as they beat Marquette. Honestly, I think that's the game that the conference race will hinge upon. And that's including one, tr- you know, tricky, unexpected loss somewhere in the mix. I still like Nova's chances, I, but I think if they were to beat Marquette February 27, I think we're going to consider that a lock for the one spot. Last question of the day and from Jerry Quinn. What team are you not interested in playing again in the Big East tournament? Great question. Excellent question. Chris, start us off here. What are are you feeling? What team would you not want to see again?
1: Now, I am saying this knowing that we have yet to play all the teams twice so far. So just based off some teams' first impressions and some teams we've played twice, I'm going with Georgetown. Early returns, say Georgetown. Now, if Villanova goes into Georgetown next week and beats the crap out of them in DC, then I think my answer will go back to Creighton because they have played Villanova close both times. But <laughs> Georgetown does scare me the most. I think their guards have the propensity to light up the scoreboard whenever they want to and play good enough defense. And Villanova struggled against them at home and without a really usable Govan be due to foul trouble. And if Georgetown can avoid the foul trouble with Govan and get the guards to shoot better than what they did against Villanova in Philly, Georgetown scares the crap out of me. But like I said, depends on that second game really. But so if I had to rank them, it, it would be Georgetown one, Creighton two. What say you?
0: Uh, great answers. I was initially leaning towards Georgetown a little bit. I, I kind of had a feeling, but then I thought about it a little bit more. I will say Providence number one for the team I would least want to play in the Big East tournament. And that's just simply because of the history. If you look at Nova and just the rest of the teams in terms of conference realignment, there were two teams that really stuck out to me as just nagging thorns on the side that you had Seton Hall who actually got to beat Nova pretty good in terms of the amount of teams in the big East that have been able to beat Nova since realignment. I think Seton Hall has got to be leading the league or is tied with someone else. They've given Nova games, even in times when Nova was able to win, you, you know, 2017 sticks out to me when Nova was able to gut it out in the Big East semis. You had 2014 in the first year, of the quote unquote, new Big East, when Seton Hall actually pulled off the upset out of nowhere. 2016, obviously the Big East tournament final, Cena Hall won. But this year, I don't think seen Hall is going to be a threat. So. The second team that comes to mind in terms of nagging thorns on the side is Providence. Nova's been able to beat them in every single Big East Hornet matchup since realignment, but it has never been easy. You had, in 2015, the quote-unquote Arch shot, to to this day still makes Providence fans very upset when Arch got fouled with, like, two seconds left, and you could have debated it. It was, like, one of those 50-50 calls where it was, like, Ooh, like, I don't know about that. I don't know if you can call it there. It wasn't really egregious. Didn't really look like a foul. But regardless, Arch made the the free throws, and then Nova went on to win its Big East tournament title in 2015. Then you look at 2016. They met again. Chris Dunn, Ben Bentel, we know all about those two guys, and Nova was able to win. And then last year, Providence coming out of nowhere. Big underdogs upsetting Creighton in overtime. Upsetting Xavier in overtime and then nova that was probably the best game of, of the whole postseason that nova played in and ncaa tournament included that was probably the most edge of your seat game there was and it came in the big east tournament and it came against providence so i will say that's my answer it just seems like no matter how good or how average or how bad providence might be they just seem to give nova a game and then if we're going to put them aside you, you gave Two teams for this year. So Providence for me is number one, and the number two is St. John's just because they're such a wild card. They got the talent on the roster, but sometimes they can put it together, and then sometimes you think, does Chris Mullen know what he's actually doing? Then you think, no, no, he doesn't. They still have such a high ceiling in terms of play on the court, but they also have a very low floor with how bad they can make things look. And against Providence this past weekend, they looked bad.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about St. John's too, but – the fact that they are literally a flip of the coin team that just, I, I, I don't like that in tournament style. Like I think Villanova can bring out the worst to them. So yeah, I, I guess if I had the good top three for expanding the list, I'd probably put St. John's third just because there is that small chance that they could bring out the good squad, but who knows by then it might be, they might be even more of a free fall.
0: Yeah. And to recap, cause I kind of went a long winded route to get to it. It's Providence number one for me. And then number two, would be, say, jobs, But thank you to everyone who asks us questions. We enjoy talking about. We enjoy hashing them out. It's always a great time. And, and that was a real good last question there by Jerry. Shout out to JQ. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Google Play, or Spotify. You have many, many options. Check back at viewhoops.com. We are just pumping out the content. We're going to have a Providence Game Chat. Providence preview. Come hop on, join the channel, join the comment section, join the party, talk about the game, and read some recaps after it on Wednesday. Also, you can follow View Hoops on social media at View Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay at IRPay5 on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and I'm enjoying my off the grid life. Follow Eugene, follow Pod. Follow View Hoops. Nova Nation, happy
0: Tuesday. Don't sweat the Marquette loss. We're still in first place, and we got a game on Wednesday night, and hopefully we'll have some good things to talk about on Thursday.